0: get my mind set before I get here, and it's hard to change that, (laughs) so, um, and I have a question, did you guys replan the closing song, or was that already planned, because that was perfect um, for what we're going to talk about today. So, um, I'm going to do this a little differently. I normally do a little introduction, read the text, pray, and then um, get into the body. But I'm going to read the text this morning, and then we're going to start right in. So, if you have Acts chapter 18 in your Bibles, we're going to start in verse 1. And if you're able to stand, would you please stand to honor God as we read his word? Acts 18:1 And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, So I'm going to spend a significant amount of time here just getting an idea of what Paul is, what Paul's life and ministry have been up to this point and what kind of situation he finds himself here in Corinth. Uh, you remember that he came from Athens. Athens was the intellectual capital of the world, I'm going to call it that. Uh, that's where all the thinkers were. And um, now Paul has moved into Corinth, which I'm going to call the commercial capital of the world. Corinth had a population in its a, at its highest, um, or at its peak population, had a population of about three-quarters of a million people. So we're talking a really, really big city, um, much larger than Peoria, and we think of Peoria being a pretty decent-sized city. Three-quarters of a million people. Corinth commanded trade routes in all directions um, in terms of the province of Achaia. Um, Brandon, can you go forward to the map just so that we can see where we're at? So Corinth is here. This is a new region. He's come from Macedonia, but he's now in a new region. And Achaia is the region where where Corinth is at. And Corinth commanded trade routes uh, by land north and south and by sea east and west for that region. Uh, you will see here there is a little strip of land that they um, they created a passageway so that ships didn't have to come all the way around here to travel from this side to this side. Um, that shaved off 200 miles for anybody who's shipping something or people who are taking uh, a ship to get from one part of the world to the, to the next. It also saved them this this right here was very, really treacherous waters and no one really wanted to go that way if they could avoid it. So cutting through Corinth was a big deal for anybody um, in the shipping industry. Because Corinth had a port on both sides of that land, because this was all Corinth there, because they had a port on both sides of that, it allowed them to have major control over what was shipped in and out. Um, Incredible influence over what came and went, and so Paul, I think, probably recognized that if cargo can come and go from the ends of the w- go fr- come from and go to the ends of the earth through Corinth, then why couldn't the same be said of the gospel? Could the gospel take root in Corinth and radiate out to the ends of the to the ends of the earth? Corinth was known for a couple of things that were not very good. Uh, it was known for its pride. The people were prideful because of their city's greatness and their city's beauty. They were prideful because they had the favor of Rome. This was a capital, the capital of Achaia in the Roman Empire. It was also known for its immorality. Uh, in Corinth... They had the Temple of Aphrodite, um, which is another name uh, for that goddess, is Venus. It sat on top of what was called the Acro Corinth. The Temple of Aphrodite had a thousand female slaves that um, had not such a good reputation for their lifestyle. Um, I'll just leave it at that. Um, Corinth, the, the word Corinth, became... An adjective to describe immoral behavior. And it became a verb when somebody was practicing immorality. And so they took the name of the city because it was such an immoral place and they started using that to describe people who lived that lifestyle. When Paul enters Corinth, he's tired, he's weak, he's weary, he's alone. And he's disheartened. When he writes the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, he says this. He says, when I was with you, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And so when I think of Paul, and when you look at Paul and his boldness in sharing the gospel, Paul seems to be a person who doesn't really have a lot of fears, Seems to be somebody who's very comfortable moving into a setting of opposition and dismantling their arguments and then facing the consequences, consequences, consequences which were normally physical consequences, persecution, and handling that okay and just getting up and moving on. But Paul gets to Corinth and he tells them later when he's writing back to the church there, I was, when I was with you, I was tired, I was worn out. I was disheartened. I was afraid. And he was alone because he didn't have Silas and Timothy with him. Now let's look at the context of where he's gone and what, he's, what leads up to this. He came across into a new region that hadn't heard the gospel, and he stopped in Philippi. In Philippi, he uh, shared the gospel, and then he was beaten. He was thrown in jail without a trial, and then he was run out of town. He moved on to Thessalonica, and in Thessalonica, he didn't even, he barely got the gospel message out, and he was run out of town. He went to Berea, where there was a more peaceful situation. Berea is right here on the very edge, more peaceful situation. Luke tells us that the Jews in Berea were more noble than the Jews in Thessalonica, but the rabble from Thessalonica followed him to Berea and then ran him out of town. He goes on to Athens, and Athens, he didn't face any persecution, But he delivered what I think is one of the greatest sermons ever in the history of the church and um, delivered it to the intellectuals and dismantled their philosophy and showed them the truth of the gospel and saw very little fruit. There were some converts, but very little fruit in Athens after giving such a powerful proclamation of the gospel. So then he comes to Corinth. He's left Timothy and Silas behind to check on those churches. He's alone, he's been alone, he was alone most, most of the time in Athens. He moves on to Corinth and he's alone still. And he comes face to face with the most grotesque immorality that mankind can produce. So he's tired. And he's discouraged. And I think we've all been there. I don't know about you, but I know I've hit points where I'm like, this isn't worth it. If people aren't going to listen, then forget them. I'm going to live a quiet life out of the spotlight and away from the controversy. But God didn't ever say that living for him was going to be easy. In fact, for Paul specifically, God said, I'm going to show you how much you're going to have to suffer for my name. Uh, Fli- uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 16. Paul, uh, God says, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so he knew he was going to suffer. God never promised it to be easy, but what God did promise is that he would be his and he would be our provider. When we're weak and we need strength, God provides that. When we're fearful, God provides peace. When we're weary and we're tired, God provides encouragement, and that's exactly what God did for Paul and what we see during his time in in Corinth. So point number one in your notes God provided encouragement for Paul through friends, through friends. And so he, he meets some new friends. Let's look at verses 2 to 4. He meets some new friends here. He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. All right, so Priscilla and Aquila are some new friends that Paul meets. God provided two new people that would be encouraging to him. Um, They were in Rome, and during the reign of Claudius, he was the Roman emperor at the time, um, there, there was a lot of disturbance among the population, especially the Jewish population, over we're told by a roman historian over a man named crestus now there's no man in history that we can find from that time concerning this this particular region named crestus but crestus is really close if you just change some of the if you change the e to an i it's really close to the greek word christos which is christ so Most likely, the Jews in Rome were being stirred up because of the gospel, which means Paul hadn't been to Rome yet. We don't know who planted that church, but somebody took the gospel to Rome prior to, and Christ, the the message of the gospel was stirring up um, disturbances in the population. And so Claudius said, you know what, all of you get out. Like, I don't want you here. You're just causing problems. Get out. And so he drove all the Jews out of Rome. And so Priscilla and Aquila leave Rome. um, And they have, obviously, in their time in Rome, they have spent time learning about Christ and and have given their life to Christ because when they get to Corinth and Paul arrives in Corinth, we find out that they are believers. Here's, Here's something that... Here's something that I think is important about this text. God has coordinated this timing. He's coordinated the timing that when Paul arrives in Corinth, that uh, Priscilla and Aquila are already there. And not only that they are there, but that he was able to find them, that they become friends very quickly. Uh, They become very dear to Paul's heart. They have a common faith in Christ. They have a common trade. Verse 3 tells us that they were tent makers, and so all three of them were tent makers. And verse 3 tells us that Paul stayed with them at their house. So here's this this couple who share their faith in Christ. They share the same uh, trade. And they've welcomed Paul into their home. And so Paul becomes very close to them very quickly. They have the same understanding of the urgency of the gospel message that Paul has. They have shared in the persecution that Paul has shared in all in different places, but they've, they've been run out of the city of Rome because of their faith. And you know what? Now they've arrived, all three of them at the same time have arrived in what I'm going to call Sin City. We usually, Sin City usually refers to Las Vegas. I think Corinth was worse than Las Vegas. Um, And so they've all arrived. And you know what? A Christian cannot survive in a place like Corinth or a place like that without the support of other believers. You just can't do it. God knows that too. God created his church to be a community, to be a group of people who will support each other. And so God provides encouragement to Paul with these two new friends. And he provided encouragement to Priscilla and Aquila through Paul. Paul loved this couple he mentions them three times in letters that he writes. Romans 16.3, 1 Corinthians 16.19, and 2 Timothy 4.19. Paul mentions his dear friends, Priscilla and Aquila. Um, sometimes he calls her Prisca, which was uh, another form of that name. So Priscilla and Aquila were dear, dear friends, and they were encouragement, an encouragement to Paul. So, Paul, so God provided encouragement through these new friends, but God also provided encouragement through old friends. Silas and Timothy arrive in verse 5. So these people that have, these two men who have been so vital to his ministry and he's missed are now back in his life involved in the ministry in Corinth. Verse 5 says, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word uh, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus, so Paul Paul is in the midst of sharing the gospel. He's trying to um, he's trying to uh, convince the people of Corinth, and Paul or Silas and Timothy arrive to encourage him further. Um, now, it's not in our text, but I'm going to take you to a couple places in Paul's letters. In Paul's letters that will help us understand what Paul was feeling. Um, prior to God's encouraging him through these friends and how he felt when Silas and Timothy arrived because he's now experiencing joy and gladness. So if you will turn with me to 2 Corinthians eleven nine, 9. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. So this is later on. Chapter 11, verse 9. Paul says this. And when I was with you, and was in need. I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So Paul was in need when he was in Corinth. That's another, helps us understand a little bit more about what he's feeling. He's, he's in need. Um, perhaps he was practicing his trade of tent making so he could provide for some of those needs. Um, he was in need. But the men from Macedonia who who are Silas and Timothy, who I told you he left behind a check on those churches, they come and they meet up with him in Corinth. And when they come, they supply his needs, most likely from the church in Philippi, because we know from his letter to the Philippian church that they supplied his needs more than once while he was on his ministry, in his ministry. And so most likely Silas and Timothy have come from Macedonia with a gift from the church in Philippi. And I'm saying Philippi because he says to the church in Philippians, or the church in Philippi, he says, you are the only ones who shared with me to provide for my needs. And so a gift from the church in Philippi comes by the hands of Silas and Timothy. Uh, turn to 1 Thessalonians 3, 6, verses 6 to 9. First Thessalonians three, verses six to nine. So now he's writing First Thessalonians, and it's widely accepted that he was writing this from Corinth when he was there. And he said this, but now that Timothy has come to us from you. So Timothy he left behind to check on the church in Thessalonica, and now Timothy has come to Corinth to greet up, to meet up with him. Now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and our affliction, there's more description of what he was dealing with in Corinth. He was distressed and he was afflicted. In all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if we are standing fast in the Lord. Now listen to this. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? And so that letter to the Thessalonians helps us understand what he was feeling prior to and then what he was experiencing after. Paul was filled with joy and gladness when his two friends Silas and Timothy showed up. Friends are so important and God understands that, which is why he's communi- he's designed his church to be a community. In uh, 2017, there was a survey done of 48,000 college students. And these were students who um did not ha- did not come with a friend or did not make friends like good quality friends shortly after uh, they had arrived at school. 48,000 college students in 2017, 64% of them said they felt very lonely in the last 12 months, so the last year leading up to that survey. They felt very lonely. 62% said they were overwhelmed with anxiety. 69% said that they were very sad. 53% said that that they felt that things were hopeless. And nearly 12% seriously considered suicide, all because they had no friends to support them. They did not have a support system. God understands that friends are so important. And so when Paul was in need and discouraged and, I don't know, maybe wanted to give up, God sent two new friends and two old friends to revive his spirit and renew his strength to move forward with the gospel message. So that's point number one. Point number two, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but, um, but I do want to say this. God provided encouragement to Paul through converts. Seven and eight of our text say this. And he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. So there's one person who worships God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. So there's another convert together with his entire household. So his whole household gave their life to Christ. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. So many of the people who heard the message were giving their life to Christ. So I'm just going to say this. When we see good results from our labor, it's always easier to continue on. It's always easier to continue in the work that you're doing. It's more difficult to continue in the work when you see no results. I can imagine how discouraged Paul would have felt coming from Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and being persecuted in those areas and then in Athens and seeing very little come out of his efforts and then coming to Corinth and seeing what I think would look like an impossible situation in terms of evangelism. But God provided encouragement that Paul needed by allowing him to see that his efforts and his labor was fruitful. So that's point number two. So those first two points, he provided friends to encourage him um, if we're discouraged, surround. We need to surround ourselves with friends. We need to be those people who can sur- who surround others who are discouraged. Uh, when we're discouraged because it, it doesn't look like our efforts are bearing fruit, um, we need to be encouraged because God. We don't know what God is doing behind the scenes, under the surface. Um, God's called us to proclaim the gospel, and we see what we see with our eyes. We sense what we can sense with our senses, but we have no idea what God is doing. And God is doing more through us than what we realize. Every time we proclaim the gospel, he's planting or watering seeds in someone's heart. And he will show us the fruit that comes from our labors, as he did Paul. All right, point number three, God provided encouragement through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Through a revelation of Jesus Christ, verses 9 and 10. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision. um, Now, when Luke in Acts, when when he uses the phrase the Lord, the majority of the time he's talking about Jesus. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So, Jesus appears to him in a vision and encourages him to keep going. Um, in the Old Testament, one of the most frequently spoken words of encouragement that God gives to his to his servants who are carrying his message is do not be afraid i am with you so i'm gonna i'm gonna run through them real quickly you have a list of references in your notes i'm gonna read them probably too fast for you to like take notes on them but they're there so that you can go back and look at them if you want genesis f- uh, these are just five real quick examples genesis 15 one, God says, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. So don't be afraid, I'm your protector, I'm with you. Genesis twenty six twenty four. God says to Isaac, I am the God of your father Abraham, do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase your, the number of your descendants. That's pretty clear, do not be afraid, I am with you. Numbers 21, 34, the Lord said to Moses, do not be afraid of him, for I have delivered delivered him into your hands, along with his whole army and his land. Don't be afraid, I am here, I will fight the battle, I will protect you. Joshua 1, 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua, you're going ha- to live a life of battle. Don't be afraid. I'm with you every step of the way. Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, with the exception of the Isaiah passage, this is just a handful of examples that don't include the times that God speaks those very words through a prophet or through one of Israel's leaders, and it doesn't include the times that a prophet or a leader encourages the people not to be afraid and assures them of God's faithfulness to deliver them. So this is, these are just, with the exception of the Isaiah passage, those are just the places where God specifically speaks that to, from his mouth to the person he's communicating with. It's all over the Old Testament if you look at how many times he speaks it through his servants. And so in the Old Testament, that's one of the most frequently spoken words of encouragement. Do not be afraid, I am with you. And here, when Paul is in fear and trembling and he's weary and lonely and he's needed encouragement, God provides encouragement through his friends. God provides encouragement for him to see that he is fruitful in his ministry. And then he gets a revelation from Jesus and he speaks the very words that we hear God speak to his servants in the Old Testament. Do not be afraid. Keep keep proclaiming the message. I am with you. I will protect you. I will be the one who delivers you. Don't be afraid. So God encourages Paul when Paul really needs it probably more than any other time that I can think of in his ministry. Paul, then, is filled with joy, the joy of the Lord, which gives him strength. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Paul is experiencing that very thing. When I am finding my joy and I'm delighting in the Lord, then I have strength to continue on. And he's filled not only with joy, but he's filled with a new uh, energy, a new urgency for the gospel message. And so because of this, Paul gets to do something in Corinth that he doesn't get to do in a lot of places. He gets to stay there for a year and a half. So what he can do in a year and a half means he he can witness and he can evangelize those who need to come to know Christ. And once they come to know Christ and they give their life to him, then Paul can spend time pouring himself into them discipling them and helping them grow. He never gets to do that because he's usually run out of town. And so I think Paul probably ended up loving his time in Corinth because um, I think there was probably more fruit that he got to witness firsthand or be an eyewitness to rather than hearing reports from churches through letters and things like that. All right, so as we wrap up, there are two points of application I think we can take away here. Two points of application. First of all, we all need encouragement at times. And God offers us that encouragement in his word. Just like the revelation that Jesus gave to Paul was an encouragement to him. God has revealed himself to us and encourages us through his word. And again, God never promises that life's going to be easy, but he does always promise that he will provide for our needs, that he will carry us through when we need him to, and that he will never give us, never give us more than what we can handle by his grace. So when you're weary and you're tired and you you don't really feel like talking to this person that God has given you an opportunity to share the gospel with because you're tired and you just want a break when you're tired and weary of battling the immorality of our culture that we are flooded with in all forms of media when you're when you're tired and you just want to not have to battle anymore when you feel like temptation is is pounding in on you, pressing in on you, and it's more than you can handle. God's word promises us he will provide for our needs. He will, he will give us encouragement when we need it. He will give us strength when we need it. He will carry us through when we need him to carry us through. If we're not able to continue the walk alone with him, he will carry us through, and he will never give us more than what we can handle. And so what we feel is too much, we can be assured is not too much he will give us grace to get through and so we all need encouragement at times and God gives us that encouragement through his word the other point of application that I think we take away from this is that God has given us an opportunity to be his instruments of encouragement to those around us everyone needs encouragement at times I want to be a person who encourages. I don't want to be a person that people spend time with and walk away thinking I'm okay if I don't spend time with him for a while. I want to be the person that when they spend time with me they leave and they say I can't wait to hang out with him again because he makes me feel so good about who I am in the Lord. So is there someone new Maybe not new at school or work, that you know that could really use a friend. Is so there someone who has a has a tough road to walk, and they could really use someone to walk that road with them and encourage them? You know the the word for encouraging, um, word or sorry, the word for counseling in the Bible that refers to the you know it's the same word that they use to refer to the Holy Spirit as a counselor. What that, that idea of that counsel is not that you've got all the answers or not that you have all this wisdom to be able to help them to cope with their problems. It's the idea of basically coming alongside them and walking their tough road with them so they've got an encouragement there. So is there somebody who has a tough road that you could walk with and encourage them? Do you know someone who needs to know that they're not alone, that someone has their back? Because God calls us to be those people in the lives of others, those people who encourage. God encourages us. He calls us to encourage others, and I want to encourage you to do the same. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God of encouragement, that Paul got here and was in such a state of um, discouragement and such a state of weariness that when he needed it, you flooded him, his life, with encouragement. You, you said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bombard you with encouragement from all angles because I want you to continue on sharing this message that's so vital for all to hear. And I thank you for that. And Corinth became a church that needed a lot of help the culture and the immorality of the culture crept into the church. And so in the first letter that we have that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he had to fix a lot of that. And that gives us a good understanding of how messed up the culture was. But by the time we get to the second letter that we have that Paul wrote to them, the church has matured some. And God, we want to be people like Paul. We want to be people who have been encouraged by your spirit and by your word. And then we want to be people who walk alongside others who need encouragement and, and need to know that they're not alone. So burden our hearts to be those people, if you would. And we thank you for providing that for us. In Jesus' name, amen.